There is power in sound. There is power in sound. From the singer who is able to break uh, a glass with the high frequency of the high pitch of her voice to the amplifier that's in the back of the car that can shake even the very foundation of your house that it drives down the street, we know that power it resides in sound. We have laws even in our communities about the decibel levels at which people can play music or make sounds or have a, a, a live performance. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was called the 515 Festival that met down in Waterworks Park. We live a, a mile or two as the crow flies from that place. And it was so loud at about midnight that it was shaking our house, uh, the music was. There is power in sound. There's even sonic and ultrasonic weapons that utilize the power of sound in order to affect the enemy that they would face. Sound can also create. If you pour sand onto a drum head and you play different levels of frequencies that vibrate upon that drum head, it can cause the grains of sand to organize and create different geometric shapes as if somebody had designed it and even made a piece of artwork. Sound can even help soothe a headache. It can slow your heart rate and even engage human emotions. The tone of your voice, it can de-escalate con conflicts. It can escalate conflicts. And music can also be used in medical therapy. Sound is powerful. This is what we're considering this morning, but not merely in the sounds that we experience here and are familiar with in those kinds of ways, but the sound of God, the sound of His voice in particular, the power of the voice of the one true and living God, the Lord of sound. This is what we're considering from Psalm 29. So follow along quietly, please, as I read from Psalm 29, verses 1 through 11. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the Lord thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, necessary word. And I pray that God would write its eternal truth upon each of our hearts. Here's the big idea of the text, in so much as I can discern it. God rules by the power of his voice. God rules by the power of his voice. And I have three points. Number one, give glory and strength to Yahweh. Give glory and strength to Yahweh. Number two, God's voice is glorious and strong. God's voice is glorious and strong. And then number three, Yahweh sits enthroned forever. The great I am sits enthroned forever.
Number one, give glory and strength to Yahweh. Look at verses one through two for this. This may sound weird. Give strength and glory to God as if his strength and glory came from us. But that's not what that means. Ascribe simply means give. Verses 1 through 2 are two parallel phrases. And the second phrase of verse 2 helps us to understand what ascribe or give or render means here. It means to worship. Look at the psalm and who it's particularly addressing in verse 1. Heavenly beings in the English Standard Version. Other translations have this as sons of the mighty or ye mighty or you mighty ones. We see that in the New American Standard Version in various uh, translations over time of the King James Version. Could this be angels? Could it be that David is leading God's people to exhort angels and rulers and authorities in the heavenly places here? Well, that might be one implication of what he is doing here, but I agree with William Plummer when he writes this, that there's no reason for confining this to angels alone. Could David be leading God's people in an attack upon the ancient idea of the pantheon of gods undermining pagan mythology with all of the following references to nature? Well, these are interesting ideas, but I think that the point here is more plain. It's more simple than all of that. I agree with the older translations uh, that, that have mighty sons or mighty ones, ye who are mighty. I think it's better than heavenly beings there in the text. I think it's a more faithful rendering of the Hebrew there. John Calvin, John Gill, Matthew Henry, Matthew Poole all apply this to not to heavenly beings, not to angels and rulers in authority in the heavenly places, but to rulers in this world, even to every human being in this world with might and strength. Anyone who has strength, anyone who has might, mighty ones. Right, so John Calvin, he writes on this, David not only intended to humble the princes of this world, who, being intoxicated with pride, lift up their horns against God. Who is David leading the congregation of God's people to sing this song to? At least in the first couple verses. One another. And to the leaders of the nations. And this then expands in the gathering of God's people under the new covenant in Christ to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Anyone with strength, anyone with might, anyone who is either a son of a mighty one, according to the standards of this world, or a mighty one according to uh, standards in general. Somebody who is strong, somebody who has influence, somebody who has power that is discernible by others around them. Someone who is a son of mighty ones in the world, all the way up to the mighty ones that might be the heavenly beings themselves the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, all those with might that exist in all realms of existence, hear this command and invitation as God's people sing Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, O mighty sons, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Though we are weak, though we are not strong, though other people are stronger than us in this world, we, as peasants with no power politically, no power culturally, can walk up to the mightiest one on the earth and sing what David sings here. There is no being in existence with strength that can escape this command, even this invitation to worship the Lord. Look at what the mighty 
are to give to Yahweh in verse or the second part of verse 1. Ascribe or give, render, or yield to the Lord, you mighty sons. Right? So the first phrase there of ascribing is open-ended. Simply ascribe, yield, give, render. Right? This is our general posture to the one and true living God. Hearts and minds and hands that are willing to be open-ended, non-defined, ascribing, giving, yielding, rendering any and all things that we have to God. Our hearts, our minds, our possessions, our work, our family. Verse 1b, the, the second part of verse 1, gets more specific. Ascribe, or render, yield, give to Yahweh glory and strength. First glory here. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod, or kavod. And it has the sense of weight, worth, value, riches, beauty, wealth. It can even have the sense of influence. In the context of this psalm, it likely refers to power or might. Mighty and strong men in this world have a certain glory in the eyes of other people, don't they? Think of the reputation of the mightiest people that you know, whether presidents or politicians, judges, celebrities, doctors, athletes, musicians, CEOs, elders, parents, teachers, the popular kid at school. This passage calls all of the powerful of this world to bow before Yahweh as the most powerful one in all existence. Think of it. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, Kim Reynolds, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, and all the way through to every man, woman, and child. Anyone who has any snippet of power, influence, might, or strength, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We ascribe to the Lord glory and strength by laying down our glory and strength to Him. As an act of worship. Giving our money, giving of our possessions, our strength, our influence, our reputation, everything that we have to we, we give to God in worship of His greater glory, in worship of His greater strength. So follow the example of the 24 elders in Revelation 4. The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, Christ. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things by your will. They existed and were created. Psalm 29 is a prelude to that song that we will sing in the glorious kingdom of Christ. Psalm 29, it's an invitation to sing this song along with the elders as they worship Jesus as Yahweh in his kingdom. God's glory and strength in no way depends upon us, but it acknowledges God's glory and strength in the way that we lay our glory and strength down in order to worship Him, to see Him as truly exalted as He truly is, and to make His glory known even as we sing it, as we proclaim it among the nations. So how can we lay our glory and our strength down to worship God's glory and strength? Are we join along with John the Baptist, when he said, I must decrease. Right? He must increase, I must decrease. I am not, though I have influence. Maybe I have power in this world. Maybe I am in government or part of a monarchy someplace, ruling over the things in this world, exercising dominion over the things under my care. I must decrease, and God's rule and dominion must increase. And we do that by speaking, 
speaking of the beauty of the glory of God. We give God the credit. We give him the due that he deserves. Verse 2 continues, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That he is due, right? That he deserves the credit for. That is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The King James Version translates the Hebrew for splendor here as beauty. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Our flesh, our sinful flesh can sometimes look at holiness and think, ah, that looks hard. I don't like that. Actually, it is beautiful living a life reflecting of our love for the Lord in holiness. The Hebrew more plainly means adornment or clothing. To adorn something is to dress it in order to show its worth or of its adoration. So the only clothing among men that's truly worthy of adoration, it doesn't consist of fabric, it doesn't consist of braids, cosmetic makeup, jewelry, but it consists of holy lives. This psalm is addressing not only the gathering of God's people in corporate worship, but an entire life of worship. Every morning, every evening, worshiping God throughout the days, ascribing to God glory, strength, and then dressing in the adornment of holiness. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, The Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it says that this is what it looks like to worship the Lord in the adornment of holiness. The rich or the mighty in this world boast in their humiliation. The highest people in this world are not as high and exalted as they think they are. So before the sovereign rule of the might and power of Yahweh, they are humiliated. This becomes the grounds of boasting for them. I'm nothing in the sight of God. I think I'm something when I'm nothing too often, and the world makes much of me, but I am nothing comparison with Yahweh, the one true and living God. Like the flower of grass, the mighty men of this world will pass away, and at death they will be held account to the one true and living God for the way that they have used their lives. They boast in their humiliation if they belong to God's people, recognizing the great glory and strength of God. And they also recognize their need for Christ to save them. That's what boasting in humiliation looks like. Seeing the riches of this world as nothing compared to the treasure of Christ. And the lowly brother then boasts of his exaltation. Right, James chapter 2 verse 5 expands on the lowly brother, uh, saying that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which God has promised to those who love him. God's judgment is the great equalizer of all men. He will cut all men down to size. The holiness of being called out of this world and then gathered to God's people is part of what this being clothed in holiness or the attire, the beauty of holiness means here. The holiness of being clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ and the gospel that bears fruit of a holy life, living under the Lord, submitting to his word. This psalm calls all people everywhere to be called out from among the nations, to submit what little might and strength they have to the Lord, who is mighty over all, and to worship him in humility and the beauty of holiness, and to ascribe and give all that they have to God 
in humble worship and adoration, giving back to God stuff that we don't even own. All that I have is His. My life is not even my own. It was bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that's point number one. Point number two, God's voice is glorious and strong. The sons of the mighty or the mighty ones on earth give their strength and glory to God in worship. And verses three through nine show us the primary way that the sons of the mighty or the mighty ones or the heavenly beings give glory and strength to God. They use their mouths. This is one of the chief ways that we can glorify God in the way that we use our mouths as it reflects our minds and as it reflects our hearts. Using their mouths to acknowledge the power of Yahweh's voice. Again, Yahweh is the divine personal covenant name of God. I am that I am. We learn in the New Testament that that also is applied to Christ in John chapter 8, 58 and on. We could keep going, but Yahweh is the name of God. And while this passage doesn't use the idea or the, the actual specific phrase of El Shaddai, God Almighty, this passage is clearly proving that attribute of God's name, El Shaddai, God Almighty. The glory, strength, and might of God is most clearly seen in the power of his voice. Verses 3 through 9 speak of God's voice seven different times. Look at the text. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild young, a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. You can see that the emphasis here in this text is the voice, the power of the voice of the Lord. Hence the name of the sermon. This is an expositional sermon. The main point that we see in the passage becomes the main point of the sermon. All existence came into being by the power of God's voice. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Great, but how? Well, then the rest of chapter 1 of Genesis describes plainly that God said, God said, God said. Right? God created all things by the power of his voice out of nothing. Psalm chapter 33, verses 8 through 9 teaches, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 describes that God calls into existence the things that do not exist. God's voice is powerful. Verses 3 through 4 describe the power of God's voice over the water and the climate. Look at verse 3. It draws our minds back to the beginning of creation as the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis 1-2. So here, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And over here, it, it's not merely a preposition that's referring to space and location, right, of relation to another thing, but also to of authority, over. So God's voice isn't merely physically above the waters, but it also has power to rule over the waters. This reminds us that in comparison to God's voice, our voices are powerless. We are nothing compared to the might and the strength of God. As God said to Job in Job chapter 38, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? 
Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? Friends, God's voice is able to call a flood over the face of the earth to judge wicked men. We see this proved in the flood of Noah in Genesis 6. God's word is able to part the water of the Red Sea in order to save Israel from slavery and idolatry in Egypt in Exodus chapter 14. What strength among men can compete with this powerful voice of God that rules over the waters? Here we learn one of God's names as well, the God of glory, El Hakavod, right? The God of glory, El Hakavod. He thunders over many waters. Thunder here, it's a metaphor for God's rule over water. But it also teaches us that God rules over the weather, right? He rules over the water. He rules over the thunders. God rules over the entire process of the water cycle. He rules over ecology and all aspects of environment and climate, from the existence of water to evaporation and transpiration to condensation of water, vapor forming in the clouds to precipitation, and on and on the cycle, God, God rules, it goes, God rules over all of it, right? God rules over the climate. And as, as the great storms form, we hear the thunder. It ought to remind us that God's voice is more powerful and full of majesty and that he will judge the nations, Verses 5 through 8 describe the power of God's voice over plants, right? So not only is he powerful over the natural elements of water and of wind and vapor and that forms the clouds, he is sovereign and powerful in his voice over land and animal life as well. First, the strength of the cedar trees of Lebanon, their source of pride to the people of Lebanon. The storm that God's voice powerfully creates is able to break even the cedars. Of Lebanon. And God's voice is able to cause the ground to shake or skip like a calf and a young wild ox. Look at verse 6. He, Yahweh, the I am, makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. One commentator writes on this, the region of Lebanon plus its famous southern mountain Syrian, also known as Hermon, is not stationary when God's storm hits but jumps like a calf or a wild ox. So God is powerful enough to shake the ground that we stand on. The powerful, majestic mountains and trees that we observe in creation, they are submitting, as it were, to the powerful voice of God as they shake. Verses 7 through 8 extends the power of God's voice to the seeming strength of the mountains in the wilderness of Kadesh. The Canaanites believe that the mountains there in in Kadesh in the wilderness to the north were a dwelling place of false go- of their gods or the false gods. And here we see that even the mountains shake at the powerful voice of the glory of God. In some of these ways, it proves even to the unbelieving nations that surround Israel that God is, is the one true and living God. The idols that the nations worship pale in comparison. They're non-existent. They're vanity compared to the substance and reality that is the one true and living God. Verse 9 describes God, uh, how God's powerful voice even rules over life itself, causing the deer to give birth. God's powerful voice strips the forests bare and makes the forests shake. All of this was designed by God to accomplish this end in verse 9. That all of 
that all in God's temple would cry, glory, glory. And the idea of the temple, of the very place where God dwells among his people, uh, we've considered in other psalms, likely refer back to the tabernacle because this is before the temple was built. Surely after the temple was built, this is understood as the Jews sang this song to a reference to the temple where they worshiped the Lord, where he dwelled at the center of the temple in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. But there's a sense in which also very creation itself is designed by God to be a temple, a place where he would reveal who he is to his people, to make it plain that he exists, to leave men without excuse for an understanding of his existence and his sovereign strength and glory. We can see the evidence of God's powerful voice as we observe the heavens, the sky, the mountains, the storms, the seas, and the clouds, as rain falls, as the forces of nature and the climate and ecology continue to work, as we see, hear, and feel the thunder and the lightning, as we see earthquakes, right, as we witness derechos blowing through the Midwest that strip trees bare and lay waste to the strongest trees in our neighborhoods, as we observe the beauty of birth and the shaking of young deer and oxen. All of this is the fruit of what our little crowns and glory and feats of strength compared to the glory of God are revealed to be nothing. What are we? What are what, what is my glory? What is your glory? What are the, your what is your strength and my strength in comparison to this strength of God? The strength of the voice of God. This is a meditation that should drive each of us to our knees and ascribe to the Lord's strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. The glory of God is seen in the visible effect of his word. And friends, God has shown us so much more of his glory in his creation than our sinful hearts deserve. And that we seek to submit or to, to undermine, right, to suppress the truth of God's existence and his power and his authority by his word in unrighteousness. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verses 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has clearly revealed that he exists. He has clearly revealed by the power of his voice over the creation that he is able to judge all men. The call to ascribe glory and strength to God to worship him in the splendor of holiness is a call to repent. Repent of the sin of our willful blindness, of our suppression of the truth of his existence and unrighteousness. To, to repent of our willful denial of God's existence and his glory that's manifested in a powerful voice that's able to create, that's able to destroy and to hold all men accountable. So friends, behold the powerful voice of God in creation in this text. Even as we go out later today and you see the trees and the sun and the sky, recognize that this is reflective of a God who speaks powerfully. All of this drives the sons of the mighty or the mighty men to humility. And how human strength pales in comparison with the omnipotent sovereign power of this one true and living God. Naturalism and science properly done drives men to cry out, glory, 
Glory alone to the God who speaks and creates. And that drives to the third point. Yahweh, the one true and living God, sits enthroned forever. This is the witness that we have before the nations. Yahweh is the king over all things forever. And he proves his might by the power of his voice to rule over all creation. The nations rage against God and his king Christ. But every day his powerful voice manifested in the creation, it reminds us that compared to him, we have nothing. We have no glory. We have no strength compared to him. And we have no strength. It's to him that all men, the, the mighty sons even among us, those that the nations look to that have power and repute, they must give an account to God. All of us must give an account to God. A few applications from this truth that God rules forever. First, Yahweh sits enthroned over the flood. We see this in the text. God stands, or he is enthroned, sits rather, on his throne over the flood. Floods, earthquakes, derechos, natural disaster, plagues, pestilence, these things may come, but God is still seated on his throne. Wars, sickness, conflict, conflict with friends or loved ones, financial disasters, the persecution that may come against believers for trusting in Christ. God, in the midst of all of that, is still enthroned. He is still ruling. So a couple of applications of this. Friend, if you're listening and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, this is a warning and an invitation to you. Do not suppress the truth of God's existence and of his rule and reign that is clearly seen in the effect of his powerful speaking in the existence of creation and the sustaining of creation. Acknowledge Yahweh as God. Confess your sin to him. Beg of him for forgiveness for your sins through the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the justifying resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. The power of God's voice to judge the nations is coming. And he has revealed this to us, not merely in general revelation in nature. He has revealed this clearly to us in his special revelation in his word. His power over nature reminds us of this. And in response, friend, we must all repent of our sins. Or we will likewise perish. Acknowledge God's glory and strength and turn from your sins and lay down your little worldly glory and strength at his feet. Take your crown and lay it at his feet. When you see the power of God's voice at work in nature, cry, glory! And don't be hesitant to do that. Glory to God alone. Glory be to this one God of glory, El Hakavod. The wrath of the one true and living God that we deserve for our sin can be satisfied in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Find salvation from the wrath of God who speaks powerfully here. Hear this warning if you're not trusting in Christ. Acknowledge God as God. Repent of your sins and trust in his provision in Christ. If you are not found in Christ, you will bear what your sins deserve. 
eternal wrath in hell. Justly. But friend, if you're listening this morning, you're trusting in Christ, find encouragement in this text. Chaos in this world, it does not throw God off. Right? He still is seated upon his throne. God rules over the storms. He rules over the floods of this world. All of this is only evidence of his powerful voice and of his glory. Let his strength and glory humble you yet again. Let it drive you to continual repentance. Let it uh, create an awe and worship in your heart as you behold the power of the God of glory. Marvel at the fact that he would love a sinner like me to the point that he would send his one and only son to die for me. Brothers and sisters, let this passage drive us to lay whatever weak glory we have, whatever weak strength that we have, whatever pitiful might that we have, whatever riches that we have in this world, whatever crowns that we have, to lay it at his feet in worship of him. It all belongs to him anyway, so we only give back what we have received in awe and humility and seek to be clothed in the splendor of holiness. True beauty and splendor, true glorious adornment is to be clothed in holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 2 teaches some aspects of what it looks like to be adorned in holiness, praying for governing authority over us that God has put over us in society so that we might live quiet and godly, dignified lives. Men lifting up holy hands without anger as they pray, not fighting with each other in their churches. Women not seeking to teach or exercise authority over men in the context of the local church. Now listen to the way that marriage, pursuing holiness uh, in, in marriage of a wife sounds like in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5-6. through 6. It describes holiness in marriage. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, holiness looks like believing God's promises, fighting our sin, and fearing God alone. We could spend the rest of the day thinking about what holiness looks like. But it's a life that is tethered to God's word, that seeks to ascribe to him glory and strength with all of life. This is one of the reasons why God's people have always gathered around the reading of his word. Because his word is powerful. It's powerful to create. It's powerful to sustain. It's powerful to recreate in regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful enough to save Brothers and sisters, God has called us to be holy. So if you're turning from your sins, you're trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God has set you apart from this world to be holy. Prayerfully consider how you might seek to adorn yourself, even this week, even today, in holiness as you seek to worship the Lord through his provision of his Son. And second, listen to God's promise to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, it said this, God promises this to David. This is the Davidic covenant. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In this text, in Psalm 29, when David writes this, Yahweh sits enthroned as king forever. It's a powerful allusion to mighty King David's greater and mightier son, Jesus Christ. 
David is laying his crown at the feet of the, the promised eternal Messiah that God had promised would come through his lineage, through the covenant that he made with David to be seated upon the Davidic throne forever. David's hope for God's promised forever king from his lineage is powerfully fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. Jesus is the king of glory. Again, El Hakabod, the, the king of glory and the God of glory. And, and the powerful voice of God powerfully comes to full force in the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is one with the Father. Jesus is true God and true man yet without sin, and able to save his people from the powerful voice of God that holds all men to account. Listen to John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 to 5 and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to live the perfect life that sinful men have not lived, that none of us have lived. He came to die as a substitute to bear God's eternal wrath, for his people, so that we would be saved and forgiven for our sins. He came to make unholy men holy by the power of his death and resurrection. Jesus came to rise again from the dead, conquering sin and death, and trailblazing a way for sinful men to come back to God, not by anything that they have done, but solely because of the work of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Jesus is the one whom the Father spoke, saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Right? Jesus is the very word of God. If God's voice is powerful, Jesus is the culmination of the very voice of God, the word of God become flesh, of which God, again, he said, listen to him. Jesus is the one who rules over the water. He is the one who is able to turn water into the best wine. Jesus is the word of God, the powerful voice of God that is over the waters, both in his ability to walk on water, but also in his ability to command the water and the winds to cease in the storm at the Sea of Galilee. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the most clear picture of God's powerful voice to be able to create and rule, ultimately to save and regenerate. He is the powerful voice of God that is able to calm our fearful hearts as we behold his power over the winds and the waves. He is the powerful voice of God who is able to say, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my dear Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music 
in the sinner's ear, tis life and health and peace. Behold the powerful voice of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Behold the strength of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ascribe to him glory. Ascribe to him strength. Ascribe to him praise and worship. Give up your life to this one good, gracious, loving Father. After Jesus dealt with our sins by the power of his death and resurrection, he ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his people on the throne. Jesus is the king who rules forever that David was looking forward to. Jesus is the one through whom God blesses his people with peace. Peace with God. Jesus is the word that is above every other word that is able to fell our threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Labor, brothers and sisters and friends, labor to know the hope to which God has called us. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Labor to know the hope to which God has called us in the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked when Christ was raised from the dead and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And God has given us his word in the Old Testament and the New Testament by uh, his carrying along the apostles by the power of his Holy Spirit. God has given us his word in the Bible, his powerful voice in the Bible. So give yourself to it as we ascribe glory and strength to him. Again, this is why we as a church continually come back to his word. It's his word that creates and sustains and preserves. There is power in sound. We'll close where we began. There is power in sound. And the most powerful sound that we can hear is the voice of God in his word become flesh, Jesus Christ, who alone can speak blessing, peace, forgiveness, justification, adoption, redemption forever from his glorious forever rule. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Let's pray, and then let's sing, crown him with many crowns. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that your word is more powerful than our sin, that your word is more powerful than enemies that would come against us. We give you praise that your word is more powerful than even the broken creation itself. Father, we give you praise that your word is more powerful than anything in existence and that you have powerfully spoken forgiveness in your son, Jesus Christ, that you have answered the prayer of David here in this song to give your people peace, to show yourself as glorious in your generosity and kindness to save 
through crushing your son. Father, we pray that you would enable our hearts to see the great praise and glory and strength that you have and how worthy you are due and that you deserve credit for all of the things that you have done. Enable us to see our need for Christ. And we pray that you would help us to lay down our crowns at the feet of the one who wore the crown of thorns for us so that we would be saved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.